Welcome once again then to Kelly Memorabilia podcast, now on to episode number four. The weeks are simply flying past, can't, can't really uh, comprehend the fact that we're, <laughs> we've got this far so quickly. But um, do give us a, a follow, uh, we're on Twitter under the handle Kelly Memorabilia and you can also find the podcast on all the usual providers on Spotify, on Apple, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and also SoundCloud as well. And of course, uh, once you've had a listen, we do hope you enjoy it naturally and hope that you, you're able to subscribe. And there's going to be plenty more content coming up for you over the next few weeks. And this evening, I am delighted to be joined uh, as my guest by James Morrison. A man who has been a Kelly fan for some time and he's going to be talking about some of his memories of supporting Kelly tonight and also a bit about his work with both the Kelly Trust and the Supporters Association and we're also going to be talking a bit about some of James's memorabilia as well in the course of this programme. So good evening James. Good evening to you. How are you well? Yes, Robert. Despite the season we're having, you know, I'm looking forward to easing out of lockdown two weeks on Monday and some sort of normality returning to everybody's lives. Absolutely. And it, as you know, we always kind of start with this the last few weeks, but it has been such a strange year to say the least, both on and off the pitch. And what's it been like for you not know, being able to get to rugby park? It's strange. Now, I, I don't think I've ever jumped about a bit or, or as much in my own couch watching Kelly games. Like, like after two minutes yesterday, I was absolutely ecstatic. After five or six minutes, I was raging again. And the emotions that I've experienced sitting watching my own television, I never really thought would have happened. But it is what it is. I actually wonder what kind of difference the crowds being in the stadium would have made to this difficult season. I've heard various theories about various teams. Um, I'm not sure, Kilmarnock, whether it would have made any difference or not, but you know, you, you think it might have done, but it might have made a, a less of a difference given the type of season we've had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A tough game yesterday against Ross County. Obviously, it was one we were hoping to, to win. It was looking, all, it was looking good after just two minutes, and then taking the lead again through Mitch Pinnock, of course. And it's a really good point to make, to say, would it have been an occasion with, I think, quite a, a healthy and vociferous crowd would have been in yesterday, and could have carried us over the line? I, I, you just don't know. You just don't know. But yesterday was a bit of a sort of microcosm of the whole season. That mm. you know, close, tight games... Uh, and just losing what I could describe as stupid, silly goals. Yeah. The amount of stupid, silly goals we've lost this season. Mm. Uh, you've, you've lost count of them, probably. You know, and you can point fingers at individual players, but you then look back at the end of the season and said, all oh, right, if this hadn't happened against St. Johnson, if this hadn't happened against St. Murn, you would have had all these extra points. But hey-ho, we are where we are, unfortunately. Indeed, and I'm, I'm sure... Other sides, Hamilton, Ross County as well, would, would of course point to these games where they could have picked up points. 
and be in a better position. Uh, but are you confident at this stage of staying up? I wonder if it's a bit similar to the 1997 uh, debacle where Gary Holt saved us with you know a game or two to go against Aberdeen and then we won and win the cup. Is that a portent? Is that some sort of indication what may or may not happen? I've, I've got this funny feeling that the two games, assuming we beat Montrose and assuming St Murn win, the two games against St Murn suddenly could be the tipping point for the future of Kilmarnock Football Club, both in terms of staying in the league and also possibly getting to a cup semi-final. It certainly looks like it. Yeah, I mean, Montrose, we don't want to, to count our chickens to say at least we know what happened against Connors Key. Uh, in Europe just a couple of years ago. Uh, we, we, we don't underestimate any side of thing after that situation and scenario. But, yeah, I mean, a tremendous opportunity, clearly. On paper, at least, to get to a semi-final. And who knows where it could take us from there. I, I think, yeah, that's absolutely right if you think back to 97 and, and the, the parallels that you can draw with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting you mentioned Connors Key. Um, I hate to go back to it. I actually think the crowd really didn't help that night because mm-hmm. the crowd turned up expecting us to win three, four, five, nothing. Yeah. And when it was nothing each at half time, the crowd were already getting restless. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I, personally, I felt all we needed to do was shut up shop, but the crowd was pushing on and driving the team and driving the team. Whereas maybe it was a matter of just sitting and let them come on to us, but that's hindsight and best forgotten about, I would suggest. <laughs> Absolutely, let's hope there's no repeat of a shock uh, when we do get to play them in shows next weekend. But thinking of the, the Scottish Cup, it's always been a special tournament uh, for Coman. I can I can remember back to the 1980s, the mid 1980s, uh, and I think we were playing. Um, played on the Saturday at home in the first division and we'd played Hearts in a cup replay in midweek and some like 14,000 people turned up and the atmosphere was was absolutely tremendous and uh, we drew with, you know, a quite formidable Hearts side at the time and then we played Clyde on the Saturday and the normal hardcore, a couple of thousand turned up and then for the second replay against Hearts it was back to 14,000 but it just really kind of showed you what Scottish Cup means to the people of Kilmarnock, I think, and, and obviously many have memories of 97. What are your own thoughts, uh, memories of the Scottish Cup as a tournament, though, are both good and bad? The, the bad ones, crikey, you know, don't mention the word Inverness. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, there's been low points regularly, and some of them, unfortunately, have also happened down in South Asia. Uh, mm. You know, Having won the cup, then you know suddenly to be dumped out by uh, our country cousins was a a shock and b bitterly disappointing. Particularly that horrific chipped penalty. As as a former goalkeeper, I was always told uh, uh, when somebody was taking a penalty, don't dive until the person's hit the ball, and then you won't look so silly because you'll not go the wrong way. Uh, you might not reach it, but you'll not go the wrong way. And if they do chip it, you can just stand and catch it. I never really understood goalkeepers trying to guess where the ball's going to go. But anyway, hey-ho. You know, uh, on a, a more positive note, 
Um, obviously, 1997, um, I also remember the, the goal that never was with Mark Cately, etc. at Hamden um, against Rangers, again in a replay. Um, and I'll, I can go back to the, the 1970s where you're talking about games before and games round about cup ties. On the Saturday, Kamara had given Celtic a really good game at Rugby Park. Um, and this is when Celtic had been twice in the European Cup final. And I think it was, it was 1971 or somewhere there or thereabouts. Um, and they basically, they beat us 3-1. And then almost exactly the same thing happened on the, the, the Cup semi-final um, a few days later. Uh, one of my bitterest disappointments was... And it seemed like the whole of Kilmarnock decamping to Muirton Park in Perth uh, round about the same time. And I remember going up in the train to Perth and going to the, the no longer existing Muirton Park and a bitter, bitter disappointment to losing one nothing. And that was suddenly, this was the sweeper and Martin Buchan was the master sweeper. And it was total bore fest. But that was the, the, the Scottish Cup's... Um, Mackay from Aberdeen, who seemed to score in every round. I, I might be wrong saying he scored in every round in that particular year. And I think they went on to beat, I might be wrong again, they went on to beat Celtic in the final. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not a tournament, obviously, in more recent times where we've been very fortunate with the draw. Of course, we, we seem to regularly, over the last 10 years or so, come up against Aberdeen <laughs> of Nemesis in many ways, and also uh, Rangers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the Aberdeen debacle, mm. which was one of the last games before COVID, yeah. that that was in many ways sorer than Connors Key because leading 3-2 with a few minutes to go, you thought, at last, the Aberdeen bogey's going to get put to bed and... It's an incredible record McInnes had that he never, ever lost to Kilmarnock at Rugby Park. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you had thought, right, here we go. But then, just utter madness. I mean, I, I thought Stuart Finley was terrific with Kilmarnock, but over the piece, he seemed to have four or five just crazy moments. And that was one of them that night where he gave away the penalty. Um, and then there was the unfortunate own goal off the Considine cross. You know, the whole thing was just crazy. But that was a really, really sore one. Yes, absolutely. I think, I mean, some of my own memories of the Scottish Cup um, on the, <laughs> the, a team which we always had as our bogey side. Um, for older listeners, they'll certainly remember this was Patrick Thistle. Mm-hmm. At Rugby Park, and you know, you could you could bet your house on the scoreline, Kilmarnock nil, Patrick Thistle one. And no matter, you know, for many years, no matter how well we played against them at home, they always seemed to beat us one nothing. But going back to, I think it was around about 1983, and the days of Scottish Cup replays, and we ended up with four matches against Thistle. Um, so three replays which were draws, and we're into extra time. And the final one uh, at Rugby Park, it was in one Morris Johnston, I wonder what ever happened to him, popped up in the last minute to score the winner for Patrick Thistle um, after all <laughs> through all that. Um, that's one that, that kind of stands out. As you say, more recently, the Aberdeen tie just last season. Um, 
Well, we're positive, no. I, you know, I, I think of, again, go back to when I first division side in the 80s and just some of the trips you would get, you know, go up and play Dundee United and get a draw there. We'd play Hearts and get a draw, play Motherwell, I think it was, and get a draw. Just tremendous performances we put in. Um, you, great you, you mentioned that. No, sorry, you mentioned that Hearts game. Was that the, the, the three games and the first one was at Tyne Castle? Yeah. It was absolutely Baltic. Right. The pitch was like a, like an absolute concrete. Uh, John McVeigh played then. That, that was was his. That was his either. That's right. Um, and Hearts had a good team then. You of Robertson and so forth at that point. They did. Yeah. They did indeed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But no, it's, it's um, always that, that was weird. Sorry. Go no, on. no, you go. Uh, there you go. That was where, and I hope we don't go back to this. That was where we were a lower league team. You know, and the cup was probably the highlight of well, aspirations to get back to this level. And I remember the replay with Dundee United and Luggy, a.k.a. Paul Sturrock, had a tremendous game that night. I think we lost 3-1, perhaps. Um, and we aspired to, to higher things. And we've been there. And that's my one concern is that hope to goodness we don't go back down there. Because getting back out of it can be really, really difficult, as can be seen from a lot of clubs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, isn't it, now? Quite incredible to think we have a whole generation of Kelly fans who've never known the club to be any, you know, anything other than in the Premier League. Um, albeit we've had some narrow escapes over the past decade or so. But you know what? It's quite... It's quite hard for me, uh, I'm sure yourself as well, to get to your head <laughs> not having seen Kelly, and, and not only the first division, but the second division. No, yeah, I mean, that was the catalyst. I, I drifted away from football after that cup tie I mentioned with, with Celtic because of you know um, a brick coming through a bus and so forth. And I drifted away, went to cup games, and probably I was one of these 14,000 that was at the cup games and then wasn't at the, the, the Clyde game in between them all. Uh, but I drifted away, but I, I came back because ostensibly of Tommy Burns. And you know he was the catalyst for me, as he was for quite a few people, I think. Because they thought, well, wait a minute, this guy's a bit different. This guy's a bit special, as he was. And you know he, he really, as well as a catalyst for getting people back to follow Kamala, he was also the, the, the turning point in terms of getting them back up the leagues. Yeah, very much so. And I remember the first time I saw Tommy Burns playing for us, you know, as, as it was in the second division, and he really did stand out a mile. You know, he thought that man is, is a class apart. He's on a completely different level. But it was it was tantamount, I think, to the club's ambition at the time. You know, we had Bobby Fleeting obviously come in as chairman. And... Famously told us we would, we would within just a few years get not only a new stadium, but we would win a trophy, we would back in the Premier League, and indeed we'd play in Europe. And you know, people people obviously laughed a bit at this, and yet he was right. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I mean that's the bizarre thing. There's such a fine line in football, um, both both in terms of games and also in terms of success and failure. And I mean. You look back at, at what the club did there under Steve Clark, that was probably overachieving. Yeah. And, and what's happened then since then has been unfortunate. I could see where the board were going 
I think it was well enough intended with the Angela Alessio appointment. And I never personally met Alex Dyer. I believe he's a really, really nice guy. And I just wonder if that was, he was such a nice guy. They felt, right, okay, we want to give this guy a, ch a chance. But even during this trial period, I didn't think myself that there was enough there to say, right, okay, we'll give this guy the job a longer term. But of course, COVID had hit, the world was upside down, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it's just unfortunate, but it, we are where we are, as I said earlier on. But going back to your point about the cup things, 1997, most people will remember that. And we were fortunate with the draws then. Maybe we've been fortunate with the draws this time um, from that point of view. Well, let's hope so. And, and looking forward, um, this weekend's coming, obviously, to play in the Trolls at home. And then let's hope that indeed the next ties against, well, <laughs> ideally Inverness, uh, perhaps, but, but if failing that's at Mirren, at Rugby Park, and, and let's go from there. So, what are your, your earliest memories? You mentioned, obviously, the Celtic Cup tie um, in the early 1970s, but what, any earlier memories than that? Strangely enough, probably one of my first memories is the scene come on parading the trophy at, at Rugby Park a few days after they had won the, the league championship. I would have been eight six at the time, um, and I seem to recall my father taking me. I definitely recall um, as losing the Yorkshire Cup final to the team from South Ayrshire. I might be wrong in saying that I think a fullback called Dick Malone might have scored the goal, but. I know for a fact that Air United finished second bottom of the second division and they still beat the league champions one nothing. Uh, but that's football, isn't it? So that was probably, I think that may have been one of my first games. But I was lucky enough to attend almost, a, I, I didn't make the, that was after the Eintracht Frankfurt game, obviously. I wasn't at the Eintracht Frankfurt game. But after that, I, I, it seems unreal to think I saw Real Madrid play at, at Rugby Park. Right. You know, I mean, that's just incredible. And then um, I also attended all the, the games when they got to what was the Fierce Cities Cup semi-final to ultimately lose to Leeds United. Um, yeah. And I mean, looking back now, for Scottish football, to, to do that in 1967, for Kilmarnock to get to that, Rangers to get to the... Cup winners, Cup semi-final and beyond, and Celtic to actually win what is now the Champions League, and also for Scotland to have beaten England three-two at Wembley, all within a matter of months. You just think that's just pipe dream stuff, and you know the idea that it could happen again is just complete fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, football is such a different game these days. Um, I can remember, you know, back in the nineteen eighties as well where obviously Aberdeen, Dundee United had tremendous success in Europe and Dundee United get through to play Gothenburg in the UEFA Cup final as it was then. And, you know, even to have that final contested the two clubs of that size would now be impossible with, with mm -hmm. the money that's around the game. And as you, as you suggest, you know, for Scottish clubs to have that level of success, and particularly for Marmot, to get to a European semi-final, just, you know, beyond their wildest dreams, um, even to qualify again for Europe would, would just be tremendous, um, assuming we can we can get out of the UK the next time and not end up in Wales. Well, I, I'm one of the 
fortunate or unfortunate people that went to Serbia along with many others. Yeah. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the trip. Went to the game that never was. <laughs> caught in his key against Partizan. Yeah. But uh, we had booked in anticipation that that mob from Wales were never going to score two goals at Rugby Park. No way was that going to happen. No, no, absolutely not. Um, but let's hope, um, as we are talking about the Cup there earlier on, who knows where that will take us if, if we get to Hamden this season for a final and maybe even take that old trophy again. And that would see us incredibly back in Europe at the, at the end of this most challenging of all seasons. So who knows? Uh, but moving, moving on to some of your work with um, the Kelly Trust, you know, I was, I was thinking back there um, and I was, I was thinking about an interview tonight and the fact that the Trust was set up in 2003 and, you know, almost 20 years the Kelly Trust has been going there. That's quite an achievement. And I, I know other clubs obviously have their trusts as well. Um, and the Harps Trust, you know, has, has been well documented as being a, a great success there with the money they've put into their club. Um, but what is what is what got you involved with the trust in the first place? And what, what is some of that work involved? I was involved with the supporters association, and then I was asked to, to become part of the uh, the trust as well. Um, the trust, in many respects, has been a slow burner. In, in, in years gone by, they, they had their 50 to the future or 50 for the future and other types of schemes. Um, the, the, the difficulty clearly was that there was relationship issues between the, um, the, the trust and Michael Johnson eventually. And, and uh, I think that could be said about um, quite a few aspects during Michael's time at the, the, the club, unfortunately. Uh, but Looking forwards, I'm struggling now to see any reason why people would not want to be part of the trust and you know be involved in some capacity, whether it's basically paying your, your annual ten pounds or going a bit further and you know looking to trust in Kelly. And I, I appreciate entirely over the last year there have been difficult times for many people who have maybe been in furlough and. Paying an amount per month into Trust and Kelly would be difficult. The, the response we got when we, we asked for people to help out with the club in relation to the, the finances because of the um, COVID case was just absolutely tremendous. And it just showed you when a club needs people, people will then turn out. Um, I, I think the difficulty with Trust and Kelly has been to some degree was that the club was in, in safe hands and was also in a stable financial footing with Billy Bowie and, and Phyllis McLeish. And yeah. um, the, the interesting thing is, I, I happened to meet somebody in the street a couple of weeks ago and he was asking about the games and he was asking about the finances. And I, and I, I was really taken aback when he said, oh, I don't get how we can go from having no borrowings to suddenly needing a million pounds from the Scottish government. And I sort of looked at the guy and I said, wait a minute here. I said, do you not realise we've not had anybody in the stadium, we've perhaps not had any gate fee income the whole season? Think what that equates to in terms of lost revenue. And the, the trust, and along with those supporting trust in Kelly, have done their bit. I personally would like to think that 
moving forwards we'll get more people because the, the Hearts numbers are unbelievable in comparison. But again, the Hearts came from people galvanising because the club was struggling and in difficulties. And what, what I would, would say to people is, look, now's the time, if you can, to step forward and help because then it becomes a habit. And if the club does need people, then you're there and you're already in and, and you've been contributing rather than a situation where suddenly it's, oh, help, oh, my goodness me. Because there are, there are so many now really good models of community football clubs across the world, not just in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, when we think of the situation in Germany, uh, for, a, for a, an example, where I believe... Um, clubs must be 51% owned by the fans? Well, the, the whole idea of ultimate fan ownership, yeah, that's not what is going to happen immediately at Command no. Football. No, 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 we get that. But it may be something that transpires at some time in the future. And, you know, looking back to my time with the Supporters Association, uh, we all knew that eventually... Uh, circumstances would change and things would change for the better. It was just a question of, of sticking with it. But uh, to many people, it was a difficult, frustrating era uh, after Kenny Shields left, etc. You know, both in terms of the football side of things and also in terms of the, the off-field situation. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so what, what is the... Uh, the connection between the supporters association and the trust do they work quite closely together in projects or they can do yes uh -huh. the, the the supporters association is probably more perceived as organizing events mm -hmm. rather than that's how the fans perceive it but for example, the, the two organisations have worked together on a number of, of, of occasions, such as some of the, uh, the charity collections um, before Christmas time with the Christmas gifts. Also, um, the, 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 there was a joint venture with regard to Captain Conquer, um, which the younger listeners might find interesting that that was jointly funded between the two organisations. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know whether... The, the two organisations would ever come together. It's a difficult one, that. That probably might be a step too far in some people's eyes. But personally, I would like to see more people involved actively with both organisations. But whether that will happen again, I don't know. But anyone that's interested, particularly if they want to be part of something, please get in contact with the office bearers of both organisations. Yeah, and thinking about some of the successes the Trust has had over that almost 20-year period, you, you mentioned some there, certainly. I can think back to the season ticket initiative, I think it was 2004, around about then, where they were able to, if you bought a full adult price season ticket, you got a, a blue voucher, wasn't it, that was that enabled you to get another one um, for free. So you're essentially getting a season ticket for half price, and that, that really pushed up, you know, the number of season ticket holders that the club had at that time. Um, we've also seen the trust be able to get a, a member onto the boards um, through Cathy Jamison, um, through the investment the trust has made there to, to give fans, I think, you know, certainly a, a voice on the board as well. 
Now, Cathy has been tremendous. I mean, total admiration for the hours and hours and hours she puts into it. And people only see, or, or most folk only see her reports, but the amount of work and hours and time she puts into it, and, and, and I only see some of it as a, as a fellow trust board member, but it's just beyond belief. And you know, she's going to be a tough act to follow, is something I would say from that point of view. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're hoping to get Kathy on uh, to one of the podcasts very shortly as, as well. Um, but moving on to thinking about some memorabilia as well, um, what sort of favourite pieces of Kelly memorabilia do you have? When you asked me to do this, I, I didn't think I had very much. <laughs> and then when I, when I took two minutes to think about it, I began to think it was a junk collector. Um, and it's just like, wait a minute, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. Um, but one of the prized things that was, was quite unusual is a picture of Tammy Bell's save in the 2012 Cup final from um, Stokes' header after, after Gary Hay had sort of didn't know which way he was turning with Scott Brown uh, and Brown put the cross in. And I would have to say that probably was the greatest save I've ever seen live. Oh, for, really? any, for any older listeners, it was Banks esque, albeit he was, he was going to his left when Banks went to his right. Uh, it was just a tremendous save. Um, and what actually happened with that picture was I, I, I managed to order it and get it framed and Cammy kindly signed it for my daughter's 21st birthday present. Um, and at, at the same time, I managed to get a couple of strips. One was Momo um, or Sissoko, who the less said about his first two minutes in that cup final the better. But I got his sign. Oh, well, I have, but... Uh, I've got his, the blue and white one, signed by the team that played here United in the semi. And then I've got Ben Gordon's signed by the, the, the squad from the final. So they're two pretty special pieces. Uh, but it's amazing the, the sort of stuff that I've managed to gather together. I've got a lot of programmes, although I did have a clear out. I spoke to D&D uh, programmes, whether they were interested. But I think he's got that much Kelly stuff. He said, no, you know, fair enough. So... Um, quite a lot of that was cleared out, but I still got most of the European programs. Um, I've got some autographs from the 1965 era, which are probably pretty special as well. And one thing that, as an ex-goalie that I mentioned earlier on, one thing that does treasure that um, I've got is a picture with myself, Bobby Ferguson, and Campbell Forsyth. Right, uh, signed as well. No, it wasn't signed. It was just taken on the phone the uh, night of the dinner. Uh, but in, t- in terms of strips and so forth, it, probably the, the first strip that I ever remember having, um, and this probably predate you, was, was Ali Hunter. Um, and Alistair Hunter played for Kamal and then signed for Celtic. And as a goalkeeper, I managed to get an identical red umbro strip with the, the, the little shape on the, the, the side and... Uh, as a sort of you know uh, early youth, he pretended you were Ali Hunter, you know. Um, but he he suddenly hit a post. I can't remember whether it was Hamden or uh, Wembley, but he clattered the post. No, sorry, it was Stuart Kennedy that clattered the post at Wembley. Um, but he went on to Celtic and a small world. I ended up going out with a girl when I was at university who happened to stay next to the Hunter family, and I bumped into Ali Hunter. But that's that's a long while ago now. Right, and one of these occasions of meeting your hero was did it turn out well? 
Yeah, well, probably that's you just have a meeting here. It was that was an odd one, but uh, I've been lucky enough to to get to know Paul Wright and uh, Raymond Montgomery over the years mm-hmm. through the Supporters Association and the Trust. And you know, if you had said to me in 1997, I would get a picture taken with either or both of them, I would have laughed at you. But to actually spend time and to be able to to speak to them is just as a Kilmarnock fan, pretty special. It has to be said. And then obviously these guys from 1965, when you look back and you know the, the late Davis Nedden was an absolute gen. Um, I was lucky enough to golf with Davis Nedden quite a few times. Um, and that was pretty special as well. Uh, and, and in your role for the Supporters Association, I think you did a few interviews with players at the time as well. Yeah, the, that was when Kirsten Callahan, the, there wasn't really any media presence at the club and, you know, the, um, we were trusted with going and doing interviews with some of the players. Uh, the, the real character, as everybody would probably anticipate, was Manuel Pascali, mm-hmm. who was just so passionate, but just a, a complete character. And listening to him, he would just once you started him, he would never shut up. And it, it had a really pretty special memory as an Italian when there was an SFA conference, and I think it was maybe UEFA in. Uh, Glasgow, and he was asked to be the interpreter for Lippi, the Italian manager, and he found himself in a lift with him, his wife, Lippi, and Vyash Boa, um, the then Tottenham manager, and he just couldn't shut up about the fact that he had was beside, because Lippi was on a pedestal to an Italian, as you would understand, yeah. totally, as a, as a manager of World Cup, but hmm. Pascal, I think that was one of his biggest memories, but he was just such a passionate guy, and yeah. And some of the other ones, it was interesting interviewing some of the young lads and seeing where they were likely to, to, to end up. Uh, one of the, the best interviews was uh, after the League Cup, we interviewed James Fowler and Gary Hay together. And I'm, I'm sure Gary Hay will remember this magic moment when he was talking about the substitutions. And, and I said, oh, it was a bit of, you know, stick or twist and uh, who goes off and who comes on and so forth. And he said, I was absolutely shattered. He said, I didn't even know who'd replaced me. All I could see was that they were wearing a blue and white shirt and on they ran onto the park. And James Fowler looked at him and I said to Gary, Gary, we were wearing yellow that day. And he just turned out, well, it just shows you how knackered I was. I got the strip wrong, didn't I? You know, but <laughs> but they're, they're great friends and lovely guys, both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a club legends, really, I think, um, not only for the League Cup final, but also just the service. The length of service that both gave to the club. Oh, totally, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it's strange how some of these guys, for whatever reason, some supporters just don't take to them. And you know, mm. we've got a similar situation just now with Mackenzie. For mm. some reason, folk don't see the the attributes that we already has. I mean, listen, yesterday to Paul De Giacomo, you you're raving about Mackenzie and what he brings yeah, to the team. Yeah, but that was the same with James Fowler. A lot of people didn't see what Fowler no. brought to the team. No. And then if you remember, he came back from loan, and I thought he was very poorly treated by Alan Johnson. Mm-hmm. And he was he was brought back from loan for a crucial game against, I think it was St. Murn, and ended up getting sent off. But he covered every blade of grass on the pitch that night and was everywhere, uh, making tracking runs and blocking people off, etc., etc. And, you know, it, but again, some people just didn't see what he brought to the team. No, I can remember being at a game at Ibrox where uh, James Fowler also ended up playing in goals. It was, and he did okay. 
he did okay, but it just kind of showed. I think he was willing to, to fill in that position as well. And the way that Gus McPherson used to do, of course, when when called upon. But thinking about, you mentioned a couple of shots um, there from the League Cup, winning side. What would you say your favourite Kelly shot is as a, a design? Was a design? Mm, probably. I think everyone would gravitate towards the 1965 one. Now that, that's classic. But, but the strange thing is, personally, from a design point of view, I actually quite like the one, the Pat Nevin one, the white one, uh, rather than the, the blue and white stripe. Maybe that was because I thought the football that we played at that season with Nevin and Wright was just tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Uh, I probably enjoyed that season and then the Pataline and Shields era more than any. I mean, Eremenko, for example, some of the passes that he put, I mean, I remember one, I think it was against Hibs, and he put a ball through and he took four or five players out. And I remember speaking to somebody and all they could say was, wow, uh, it just was incredible. Um, that, that was quite a nice shot as well in, in that era, the, the, the sort of chunkier blue um, striped one. Was, um, yeah. and there, there's been some classic ones, like the light blue with the maroon through it, the away strip. You, know, you, you wonder where that came from. Or yeah. there was the, the Bobby Geddes uh, goalkeeper strip. You know, um, there's, there's been some great ones. There's been some absolute howlers as well. My, my daughter loves the colour purple. That purple strip. We never won a game in that purple strip. No. no Honestly, just, we didn't. No, I just actually sold one of them the other day. Uh, it's a match-worn version of the purple maker. Um, but you would you would prefer the stripes over hoops? Yeah, I, I tend to associate the hoops with the yo-yo era and... Yeah. A bit of struggling, etc. For, for whatever reason, that's maybe just a personal association, you know. Um, but I, I just seem to remember that was the yo-yo era. Yeah, oh, it was very much. But um, but speaking before we move on from Elementary there as well, I think there was, there was a game. Never forget this. We were playing Rangers, and he was he was getting up towards the centre circle with the ball, and he actually put his, his right hand out and he just pointed to where he was going to put it. And it was to Jamie Hamill on the right-hand side. And even though the Rangers defenders could see him pointing, they still couldn't stop the pass because they are going to feel it. You know? Right. I mean, uh, he, made, he made Connor Salmon look like a world-beater. Oh, he did. You know, it was the top goal scorer in the country, was he, for the first half of the season? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, a little cameo. I mean, one of the... The points I enjoyed in the, the um, a season past was the cameo performance he put in in Chris Boyd's testimonial, yeah. and even then, and I, people thought he was he was overweight. I, I don't know he was overweight. He just bulked up substantially, and you know you, you saw pictures of him, and he had really been working out at the gym. He was it was muscle rather than fat, and, yeah. but I mean. Well, he would probably be up there with one of the most talented players I, I do remember. But, you know, the Pat Nevin era was pretty special to me. One of the few people that was in the same level as Pat Nevin was Paul Wright. Yeah, yeah very much. They always liked up very well um, in that season, definitely. So if, if, you, were, if you were pushed to, to think about a favourite 
maybe not even so much best necessarily, but a favourite 11. You would have Eremenko in there. and Oh, that's a real tough one. You should have given me three weeks warning for that one. <laughs> oh, crikey. Who need to give me all 11? All 11, right. Well, goalkeeper is a tough one because... You, you, that's one thing we've been fortunate with. You've had McCulloch, you've had Stewart, you've had Forsyth, you've had Ferguson. Um, strangely enough, I, I might lean towards Bobby Geddes because he was one of the first to, to have to play the ball without the pass-back rule. I don't know how the likes of Ferguson and Forsyth and so forth would have coped with that. Alistair Hunter, again, that's another mention, but I, I might, I mean, Gordon Marshall was good as well. I couldn't fault Gordon Marshall. And then Lekovic was mercurial, is probably the best way to describe him. He filled the whole team just for goalkeepers. <laughs> he could just about, yeah. <laughs> that, that might be a way to stop us getting relegated, perhaps. But there you go. <laughs> uh, so pro- probably I would pump for Bobby, Bobby Geddes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tempted to go with a back line from the same era, although that would then mean not including Beatty and McGrory, mm-hmm. uh, who older listeners would maybe remember. But you're, you're kind of tempted to go with a sort of um, McPherson, Montgomery, McGowan, um, and maybe Billy Dixon um, from the, the, the 1960s. Uh, I, I would really struggle to, to, to then pick folk like McLean and Eremenko and I mean, when you think we've been blessed with a lot of skillful talent and you know that's not even thinking about boys like Bryson and Kelly and you know McCulloch in the middle of the park and and I'm sure there's a lot of younger people who are thinking McDickon and Clark should be in there at defence as well and you've, you've got me in the hop with that one you know <laughs> All I can say is we've been very lucky, but I would need a I wouldn't know what formation to play, and no. B I would need I need to think long and hard. I mean, mm. because how could you differentiate between Burns and Eremenko? Mm. Yeah, I I don't know. No, obviously I would need to give that one a bit of thought as well. But I think if if I was to to think on a see not necessarily best I've seen, but but favourite eleven. Um, I'll certainly start with Alan McCulloch in goal. Um, he was the goalkeeper when I started going in 1979, around uh, right about then. Right back would be Gus McPherson. Certainly, I think the most steady right back. is a tough job, maybe between him and Alan Robertson. Um, in the centre, I'd have Ray Montgomery, and I think I have to go Derek McBicker in here. Just a very wholehearted player. Um, for the club left back, I'm going to go Dylan Kerr. Um, I love Dylan Kerr, not only for his famous celebration when he ran into the stand after scoring against uh, the team from South of Symington in an Ayrshire Cup final. Um, I'll go 4 4 2 then. And on the right hand side, I'm going to go with Gary Holt. Um, again, Part of the cup winning side, obviously a Kelly fan, well known. Uh, I thought it's tremendous, but some of the two or three seasons Gary Holt was absolutely standing for us in the late 1990s. Middle of the park, as you said, it's astonishingly difficult to choose there. 
Um, probably half of Tommy Burns and I think Eremenko, certainly the two. Ian Durant as well. Ian Durant's a very, yeah, yeah. Durant right away, very tough to leave out. Um, until, until he went off in that League Cup final against oh, Celtic. Right, sure. We bossed him, and then all of a sudden he goes off. Sutton gets sent off, and Larson scores up. Oh, don't go there. That was another uh, angry day. <laughs> um, but I think I'll just go for Burns ahead of Durant based on the influence that Tommy Burns had over the club, both as a player and a manager. Um, we talked about that year earlier. Left hand side, I'm going to go with Andy McClam, um, who I just, just loved. I've spoken about this and some of the earlier casts, um, if, if folk have heard those, they'll have heard me eulogise about Andy McClam. Up front, um, oof, it's a tough one. Thinking about a favourite, I live in, I love players like John Burke back in the day. Um, you get Willie Waters, obviously. I'm going to have to go with Paul Wright and. Mm, the other one's going to be Stephen Naismith. Yeah, but you don't even pick Chris Boyd. No, 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 I know, I know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why, if you're going to ask, sorry, if you're going to ask your guests this in future, give them two or three days' notice to play about with a pen and paper. I know. No, it's just a, it's more a favourite player's question than the perhaps rather the best of living, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, the, the, you know, you're right about that. That that's maybe the way to do it. Is it's a favourite players rather than best to live it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I mean, I remember Tommy McLean, and you know, I, I don't think you could pick Tommy McLean and Pat Nevin in the same team. No, no. And as you say, defence, defence. When if folk were watching in the sixties, um, I would, you know, obviously I never saw somebody like Andy Kerr. I heard an awful no, that, that was before my time as well. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, but I remember was... McLean. Remember seeing McLean score direct from a corner kick. McLean mm. and back to Eremenko and passes along the ground. Mm. He probably was the best passer of a ball I saw. But in terms of crossing and putting balls onto people's heads to, to score goals, and I mean, he even did it with Davis Nedden. Mm. And that's some achievement. Davy wasn't a giant. And, no. You know, but it was just perfect height, perfect pace all the time. It was just fantastic with it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, we've, we've obviously talked about a lot of players there, which is tremendous. You know, you've you've, you've mentioned a, a, a lot of club legends, certainly, um, and covering different eras. You know, as you said, Ali Hunter, for example, was was just just before my time. Um, then Alan McCullough clearly was was a well-known goalkeeper. Um, remember, famously and infamously, he broke his leg, didn't he, playing against Morton. And I think he'd just been called up to the Scotland team at the time. And unfortunately, was was you know wasn't able then to play for Scotland. And I think we were relegated that season. We got a few humpings that season because he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, but and I had a guy, think, Jim Brown, come in. Yeah, but I, I think what a lot of people don't realise, and you know, it's interesting bring it right up to date, mm. that was one of the most disappointing things that happened, as far as I was concerned, was that we, we were ready to sign Bachman or re-sign Bachman, 
for this season and he was ready to come. And because Watford changed their manager, the goalposts moved all over the place. And Bachman's now the main goalie at Watford and is likely to get promotion with him. And what a lot of people don't realise is that how important the goalkeeper can be to organising the defence in terms of you know set pieces and such like and so forth. And I wonder, I, I, I don't know Doyle or Rogers, but you know, we've lost a lot of goals this year from set pieces. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look how organised we were with Bachman in there. Now, that may have been Bachman, Finlay and Broadfoot. I don't know, yeah. but uh, it, it just was, he was a, just let's say, to me, he was a presence and, you know, I think in some respects we've just lacked the presence, albeit Rogers did quite well. And this can back to your very first question. Initially, you thought, all right, we're going to be doing all right. But it then just has been stickier and stickier and stickier. And maybe if Tommy Wright had come in earlier, we wouldn't be where we are. Possibly, yeah. Um, but even even with Bachman, as you say, he made such a tremendous difference. I remember being in, being in the bus, travelling in for the game at Pinecastle couple of seasons ago and looking up team on the phone it must have been and and seeing that Jamie McDonald had just been called up for Scotland that week and here we had Bachman starting you know for his first league game and I think he'd made a couple of changes that day and I thought what is Steve Clark up to why is he suddenly throwing this guy in to play in goals and of course you know Bachman never looked back as he said that the difference then in the defence, um, just as a unit for the rest of that season, was, was incredible. Yeah, that, that was just so unfortunate what happened back in July, August. Um, because, as I said, you know, I think he was all set to come and just all the all the things went against Kilmarnock in terms of Watford changing their manager and you know suddenly him maybe having a chance to become the first choice goalie, etc. etc. Good luck to the guy. Yeah. Good luck to him entirely. And I hope he gets promoted and does well. But from a selfish commander point of view, I think we would have been better with him. But hey ho, where So just I mean obviously we're kind of rounding off thinking about staying up, hopefully. Uh, we talked a wee bit about earlier, but where would you, where would you hope to see? Um, we mentioned the trust earlier, and, and and you talked a lot about that, and you know, encouraging people obviously to join the trust. Um, for next season, and obviously we don't know what league will be in yet, but what would you, what would you hope to see the trust become, maybe over the next, the next, the short term? Short term, I would just like to think that more people will buy into the idea that being part of the trust and contributing and helping directly or indirectly is a worthwhile thing to do. And as I said earlier, I'm struggling to see reasons why people wouldn't want to be involved if they're passionate about Kilmarnock Football Club, other than perhaps financial, because financially they can't make that. Yeah. additional payment or additional contribution. Totally get that. Totally understand it. But if they can, then please do so. Or, or you know, and or think about giving up some time and, and being part of it. But it's great that the fans now are part of decisions 
and part of planning, etc. Moving forwards, as they have been with regard to the season tickets for next season, etc. That would never have been the case some years ago. No. Um, and you know that shows you how much we've changed. We've changed so many good things for the better off the park, on the park. If, if you want me to answer that, Tommy Wright's got a significant task on his, his hands, regardless of what division they're in, because we need to rebuild and we need to start bringing through young players. That, that's my, been my one concern over the last few seasons. We've just really not done that at all. Um, the last one was Greg Taylor, and he was, he was brought through by Lee Clark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, even even we've talked a wee bit about lockdown, obviously the past year and and the challenges that that has been for the club. But um, I think you you were involved last was it last summer um, in a couple of projects there. Was was that Trish related? We did a quiz. Oh, oh, please don't um, embarrass me. Please no, 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 that no, was really good. It was really good. And also, I think you were you were involved in the, the project to get people to send in photos, just maybe wearing a Kelly strip at the time. Yeah, that, that's more of a family thing. Daughter was part of the driver behind both of those. Right. Right. If I digress ever so slightly, I think probably, you know, looking back, um, she, she says that the 18th of March 2012 was one of the best days of her life. If I've done nothing else, I've passed the mantle that my father passed to me, to, to my daughter, and, and you know, got her involved. And I'll always look back with, with affection on that, you know, and moving forwards. Dad and daughter, and it's a strange thing. We talk about father and sons at football games. Dad and daughters going to football games have been pretty special. Um, the, the only thing that had happened in your since lockdown was that because you talk about things that we'd done, we'd also put stuff in Twitter involving the, the song Don't Stop Believing, which is kind of apt at this point in time with Kamala. She got a, a warning on her Twitter account from the Sony Corporation because we were basically lip syncing and karaoke to Don't Stop Believing. But I, I thought they would have better things to do than you know, send out warnings to, to folk that were basically promoting their songs, but hey ho. Absolutely, absolutely. So we need to watch out for that for putting any music on uh, on the podcast. Um, indeed. Oh yeah, as a lawyer, just be careful about that because absolutely, the, absolutely. Ears, ears and eyes where you would not believe ears and eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, think, I, think, I, think, I think we did it twice, Robert. We did it once coming back from Tynecastle. Uh, don't stop believing after uh, Stuart Finlay had the oh. last minute goal. Yeah. And then, then I think we did it down in the trip to Wales. Don't stop believing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she put them out in good faith on Twitter, but no, yeah. she got shots across the bows from the Sony Corporation. Incredible. There you are. Uh, so just, just be careful. Yeah, just, just be, be careful. careful. Just you be careful on Twitter. Uh, but if you're on Twitter, look, do. Do give us a follow and kill him and reveal <laughs> at the same time. James, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed discussing so many topics about our, our shared passion of Scotland's oldest professional and best, of course, football club tonight. Uh, my apologies for putting you in the spot with <laughs> your favourite players because there simply are so many 
Um, as you say, it would, it would take so long to, to even think about going through them all. Um, so thank you very much for taking part, for, for all the information you've given us um, about the Trust. In particular, that was very informative. And, you know, your, pa your passion, passion for the Trust, which really comes through, um, and I hope, hope continues to rub off. Um, and let's hope for a successful end to, to the seasonal end. Uh, over the next few weeks. Do give us a follow, as I said, on Twitter, on Kelly Memorabilia. And of course, we hope you, you have enjoyed listening to us tonight. You've enjoyed listening to some of the other podcasts um, that we've done over the last wee while with, with David Ross, uh, famous you know, historian, really, of, of the club. And that you follow us on Apple, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, and Breaker, on Google Podcasts whichever your podcast um, provider is. So take care. Let's look forward to this week's Scottish Cup tie against Montrose for a positive result. And we will catch up with you again soon. Take care, man.